0: Hi, this is Pam Johnson, and today I am going to be talking about the role of CT in the patient with suspected pulmonary embolism. Pulmonary embolism is an important diagnosis not to miss. We know the incidence ranges from about 44 to 145 patients in 100,000, but of course the quandary is the variable presentation that often makes it difficult to make the diagnosis clinically. a diagnosis that we don't want to miss because of the high risk of mortality if untreated. And it's a diagnosis that we want to be accurate when we make because of the risks associated with anticoagulation. What are the risk factors for pulmonary embolism? Well, we learned these in medical school. They include long airplane trips, the use of oral contraceptives or other hormone replacement therapy. Patients with cancer or who have had recent surgery or are immobilized for other reasons have a higher risk. Pregnant patients have an increased risk of pulmonary embolism and these can be among the most challenging exams to perform. Um, And then other risk factors that we don't commonly think about include pneumonia, hypertension, congestive heart failure, smoking and obesity. There are a number of clinical scoring Uh, scales that the clinicians use that help them to determine what is the positive pretest probability that a patient has a pulmonary embolism and as we can see here from the revised Geneva score system older age previous history of PE or DVT tachycardia recent surgery recent fracture presence of hemoptysis patient who has a known malignancy a patient who has unilateral lower limb limb pain, these are among the many things that are considered in determining whether they think the patient has a high or low probability of pulmonary embolism. Another uh, scoring system is the Well system, includes similar variables such as a previous history of PE, tachycardia, recent surgery, hemoptysis, clinical signs of a DBT. So these are considered in the decision making as to whether the patient should be scanned uh, with CT or other type of imaging modality, and we're going to discuss that in a, in a little bit. But with the Wells model, we see that t- based on how many points the patient scores based on these clinical indicators, the risk can be defined clinically as low, moderate, or high. So. What is the role of CT and how does it compare to other imaging modalities for identification of pulmonary embolism? When I was a resident, we didn't have CT for pulmonary embolism. We only had VQ imaging. And if that was equivocal, then the patient had to undergo pulmonary arteriography. So the the utility of CT is has been an incredibly valuable addition to our Im- imaging um, tools and At this point, it's really the preferred test, especially in patients with a high clinical suspicion or a low to moderate suspicion and a positive D-dimer. The problem with VQ is that it's not diagnostic in all patients and ultrasound is helpful. A DVT is present in 70% of the patients with an acute pulmonary embolism, but that is not 100% sensitive for making the diagnosis. So according to the American College of Radiology, appropriateness criteria where they've rated different imaging modalities, well, a chest radiograph is definitely considered um, a a good choice for for frontline imaging, primarily to exclude other causes of acute chest pain. But to make the diagnosis of pulmonary embolism, the current standard of care is CT angiography with contrast. In pregnant patients, it's a little bit more controversial. Um, according to the ACR appropriateness criteria, both CT geography and VQ scan were given the same rating. Of course, it's always good to consider starting with a lower extremity ultrasound in a pregnant patient because um, if you can make the diagnosis without radiation and contrast administration, that would be optimal. So D-dimer is a laboratory test that um, has gained a lot of popularity in recent years for trying to determine clinically whether the patient has some type of acute thrombosis. The problem with the D-dimer test is that um, it can be positive for a number of different reasons and um, so it has a high sensitivity but a low specificity. There are two methods by which a D-dimer test can be performed and the uh, ELISA test is much more accurate. So that's one thing to consider, the accuracy of the test that's used in your institution there are a range of other uh, processes and diseases that can elevate the d-dimer so the differential diagnosis includes presence of any kind of infection or inflammation cancer surgery or trauma burns or bruises and then ischemic heart disease or stroke a ruptured aneurysm or dissection and it can also be elevated in pregnant patients compounding the problem of the d-dimer test is that it increases with age so You can exclude a PE by a negative D-dimer in about 60% of patients under the age of 40, but only 5% over the age of 80 because it may be elevated in elderly patients and new age-dependent cutoffs are being defined. False negative D-dimers may be identified in patients who have symptomatology that's lasted more than two weeks. If they're anticoagulated or the heparin is initiated before the D-dimer test. So what is the advantage of CT? Well, it has high diagnostic accuracy, and it's a definitive in a majority of cases. Of course, we all know that that is technique and image quality dependent. It's a fast test with high spatial and contrast resolution. It's widely available, and it often reveals an alternative diagnosis to account for the patient's symptoms when they don't have a pulmonary embolism. In this paper from AJR, which was summarized, the imaging modalities used in detection of PE and DVT. Uh, you can see that pulmonary MDCT angiography had sensitivity of 96 to 100 percent, specificity as high as 89 percent, positive predictive values 92 to 96 percent, and negative predictive values 94 to 100 percent. So it's a, it's a very good test for this clinical indication. There are limitations. These include the fact that iodinated contrast is required, so patients with renal insufficiency or um, anaphylaxis to iodinated contrast cannot undergo the PECT scan. It involves radiation, of course. And our ability to make the diagnosis is both protocol dependent and patient dependent. Patient's ability to cooperate in terms of um, suspending respiration, and not moving because we know that respiratory and motion artifact create um, pseudo emboli within the smaller arteries. So the patient's ability to cooperate is is really critical, and often patients will be intubated um, or or very ill. So these are these can be difficult exams to perform and interpret. Um, as I mentioned, respiratory motion ar- artifact can be a problem if the contrast enhancement level is not adequate. If the timing is not correct, well, then there's a lot of noise, which lim- limits our ability to make the diagnosis of an embolism in the segmental and subsegmental branches. If the timing is wrong, we may see mixing artifacts that can um, confound our ability to identify pulmonary embolism or to be confident that there is no pulmonary embolism. If you do not administer a saline flush, the superior vena cava often has dense contrast and causes a streak artifact across the pulmonary arteries, which is another um, factor that can limit our ability to make the diagnosis. Unfortunately, I think we all feel that suboptimal exams do occur and they're unavoidable, which can result in non-diagnostic uh, CT exams. So one of the most important factors in performing these studies is getting the timing right and it's not something that you should be doing with a fixed delay we use bullish tracking um, knowing where to put the cursor and when to trigger the the timing based on what kind of a scanner you have is really critical and the principle is now if you watch the right arm you'll see that we are going to infuse contrast in the right arm um, into the axillary and subclavian veins into the innominate vein then into the superior vena cava and the right atrium. And we really wanna image this patient immediately after this as the contrast goes from the right ventricle into the pulmonary arteries. That's when we take, that is when we want to acquire the image. And the timing can be difficult, as you know. It's usually less than 20 seconds. Once you get beyond that point, you're in the um, arterial phase, the systemic arterial phase, and then you, your exam, your image quality begins to decrease. So what's our technique? We use between 80 and 120 mLs of contrast. For larger patients, we'll use a higher concentration to increase the enhancement level. Our infusion rate is at least five mLs per second. If it's a large patient, our technologists will actually infuse even above five mLs per second if they have a very good 18 gauge catheter and good venous access. And in thin patients, if you can perform flash mode, if you have that type of scanner, um, that really helps to to generate uh, reliably good image quality. What's the timing? Well, depending on your um, the speed of your scanner, if you're using a 64-slice scanner, we put the cursor in the main pulmonary artery and trigger between 120 and 150 Hounsfield units. With a 128-slice scanner, we trigger later because it's so fast that we can capture the peak of enhancement in just a few seconds so the trigger is closer to two hundred Hounsfield units. So let's look at some some cases. Here's an example of excellent image quality. This is what we're targeting here. The contrast is in the pulmonary arteries only. Very little contrast in the aorta. This was a 64-slice scanner. the, The bullish tracker region of interest was placed in the main pulmonary artery and the scan was triggered at 143 Hounsfield units Another case of excellent enhancement triggered at 128 Hounsfield units and in this patient we can see that there is thrombus um, in both the right and left pulmonary arteries Triggered at 155 Hounsfield units another example of excellent image quality with main right and left pulmonary artery clot And in this patient, the 64-slice scan triggered a little late, 180 Hounsfield units. It's still adequate, but you can see that now the aortic enhancement is starting to approach the pulmonary artery enhancement. And in this case, this is um, a little bit later than ideally, um, but it's still a good scan. So one of the things that I tell the residents is it's really important to indicate the quality of the scan. That should be the first line before they say whether there's thrombus or not because similar to a VQ scan, where you may have low, moderate, or high probability, if you have a low quality scan and you don't see a pulmonary embolism, you know that your sensitivity is not as high as if you had an excellent quality scan. So it's important for the clinicians to understand whether we have a really superb bolus and no motion artifact and we are 100% confident that we do not see an embolism and we're not missing one, or do we have a lower quality study, which happens unfortunately, and in which case, it's important for them to understand that there's a chance that we might not be seeing the pulmonary embolism. Um, So, some more examples. Here's a 128 slice scanner, perfect timing, triggered at 199 Hounsfield units. You can see there's almost no contrast in the aorta and it is all entirely within the pulmonary arteries. Another patient image on the 128 slice scanner, uh, triggered a little late, 290 Hounsfield units, but still, even though we have contrast in the aorta, we still have an excellent contrast enhancement level in the pulmonary arteries. So here are some of the pitfalls of, of bolus tracking. Um, the patient can move or breathe and then we're not even targeting the correct area for the trigger as in this case, you could see that the, the ROI is between the pulmonary artery and the aorta. And as a result, the scan is of lower quality because it's, a, it's late with uh, contrast in the aorta equivalent to the enhancement level in the pulmonary arteries. Here's another one where the patient moves or breathes and the cursor is moving from the pulmonary artery to the heart and um, really confounding our ability to trigger at the right time. Um, you can see see so it's gone from the pulmonary artery to the heart back to the pulmonary artery and then again back to the heart with the patient moving and breathing so Um, This is one of the problems that even when you're trying to trigger at the right time and you think you've put the cursor in the right location, this will really prevent you from getting a high-quality study. So here's an example where everything was done right, 145 Hounsville unit trigger on a 64-slice scanner, and yet we still have suboptimal pacification. So what's happening? Well, we know that there are uh, a number of cases when the patient valsalvas and then um, As a result, we get a lower quality enhancement level in the pulmonary arteries, which is why we no longer tell our patients to take a deep breath in. We just tell them to take a breath in, breathe out, and just stop breathing. So um, expiratory imaging is really very uh, important to avoid this pitfall. So the list of pitfalls again. And there are a number of papers that have been published showing the role for expiratory imaging and how um, During inspiration, there's a variable increase in unopacified venous blood from the IVC, briefly diluting the contrast column, entering from the SVC during inspiration. So, expiratory imaging critical in this paper paper in the Journal of Thoracic Imaging. Another paper published in Emergency Radiology, waiting to exhale, uh, with the conclusion that expiratory imaging for non-diagnostic CT pulmonary arteriography improves pulmonary arterial enhancement and improves the diagnostic quality of the study by eliminating this transient attenuation artifact Paper and clinical radiology again emphasizing the role for expiratory phase imaging and These expiratory scans showed greater attenuation at the pulmonary trunk right and left pulmonary arteries lobar and segmental branches and a lower incidence of the transient contrast medium interruption, as well as a lower incidence of unsatisfactory pulmonary artery opacification. So important to remember, tell the patient breathe in, breathe out, and stop breathing. Another critical parameter in technique is your reconstruction section. And ideally, these are less than 1 millimeter. The earlier literature suggested that under 2 millimeters was adequate. Um, as you can see in this paper in 2002, uh, that was published in Radiology, the results showed that the use of one millimeter section widths resulted in substantially higher detection rate and greater agreement between different readers compared to two and three millimeter sections. Subsequent papers, here is one um, using a 16-slice scanner where they compared 0.75 millimeter sections to... Uh, 2, 4, and 6, and only the 2 millimeter sections had results comparable to the 0.75 millimeters. But at at present, this is still not really considered adequate. Um, As we can see, here's a study performed with 64 SLICE published in ACTA Radiology in 2011, where they concluded that you should be using less than one millimeter section thickness. So our reconstruction sections for pulmonary embolism imaging, we do a, a, a thicker section, five millimeters, but then we do a 0.75 millimeter by 0.5 millimeter high-resolution volume, and that's our gold standard that we review for every case. And That is really what you should be doing in practice. It should be less than one millimeter reconstruction section. Here's an example. Look at how much easier it is to make the diagnosis. Image on the right um, with a very thin section gives you a high level of confidence that there is actually a pulmonary embolism there as opposed to just some mixing artifact. Another case, three millimeter sections compared to 0.75. With the 0.75, you really can capture um, the thrombus at this bifurcation and make the diagnosis, which would be easily missed on the three millimeter sections. Okay, so I think I'm gonna stop there. And when I resume, we're gonna start discussing the different CT findings that you will see in patients with pulmonary embolism. So thank you very much, and I'll be back soon.